Welcome to Wireless Future. I'm Emil Björnsson, and on the other side of this line we have Eric Larsson. How are you? Good, Emil. How are you today? I'm great. So it's uh, raining outside here. Hopefully you don't hear it since I'm indoors. But uh, yeah, you can always uh, sometimes be afraid that all kinds of sounds were picked up when we make an audio recording like this. <laughs> Indeed. So today I was thinking that we we're going to talk a bit about analog. So <laughs> there was so much focus on digital communications and digital computation and things like that. And I heard uh, people talk about that, oh, there are certain use cases for analog computations, analog computers again. But uh, in this episode, I was thinking that we will take the communication side of that and talk a little bit about analog modulation and some related aspect with over-the-air aggregation. So, yeah, why are people going back to analog modulation? What is your take on that? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, I guess the first question is, are people going back to analog modulation? Sure. I think the, 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 the answer at large is, is no. I mean, the mainstream techniques are, are digital, right? And that's the development we've been seeing over the many decades. So in a way, it's like when we discuss analog, why do you discuss analog? I mean, that was like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> pre-Shannon, right? Or yeah. um, um, maybe could even give like an, an bit of a feeling but uh, there are applications and, and use cases and situations where analog modulation indeed does have some advantages even say in the modern world mm. and I guess that's what we'd be focusing on a little bit today mm. yeah so uh, yeah I also have this feeling sometimes that well when we are rapidly digitizing everything then mm. we sort of do it just because we think that it's always mm. the best case but then there will probably arise certain use cases where the analog methods have their their benefits if we understand them yeah indeed and i mean even some old traditional analog modulation techniques are pretty good right like analog fm for broadcast for example for, for radio broadcast for example but yeah anyways, i'm still using it in the yeah. car <laughs> <laughs> we do indeed i mean Right. So where do we start this off, Emil? I mean, I guess maybe one question is really why um, analog at all? Why, why this bit of a revival that I think is fair to see that we have seen over the last few years? I mean, in, at least for selected use cases and applications, right? Exactly. And um, I think I would argue that number one is simplicity. I mean, you could take, you know, you have a sample and you, you want to transmit it. Okay, so you take the sample and you send it as an amplitude, right? And that's it. Yeah. Now, is this good or not? I mean, simple or not? I mean, the question is still, is it is it good, right? And uh, one obvious consideration, I think, is latency. I mean, if you just have like a single sample, you want to get it across, you don't have time for complicated source coding or, or converting into bits and, and, and all that associated processing and so forth. Um, but it's also that um, there are applications emerging where maybe we don't need like all of the modern source and channel coding with performance guarantees that they come with and so forth. I mean, in... in, um, in inference uh, applications like in sensor networks where you collect data or, or in, in machine learning applications where you might have vast amounts of data indeed and you want to aggregate I mean all this data over the ether right so the, these devices tra transmit the data and per perhaps I mean the traditional performance criteria like block error rate and so forth and bit error rate aren't as relevant anymore but rather other things like how fast does this learning model converge and so forth and then it turns out that well just analog transmission of the data isn't, in many cases, uh, such a bad option. Mm. And um, I think finally a point to be made is that there's actually an optimality aspect here. I mean, there, there are cases where an linear analog modulation is optimum, right? If you just have a single channel, use a single dimension. So you send a sa single sample across, like over the Gaussian channels. I, I want to send you a real number X. Over, over the channel with Gaussian noise, then well, analog modulation is, is the best you can do. I mean, of course, if, if there's some kind of bandwidth compression or, or expansion involved so that, you know, I'll, I'll send you this sample over multiple channel uses or, or that, that's a different story. But for, 
for a single channel used on linear analog is in in, in, in some situations actually the best one can do. Hmm. Yeah. So so I guess the the usual. Uh, selling point of digital modulation when you are teaching this is sort of one that you you can if you have a lot of data you can compress it somehow both uh, the source encoding and then you add your channel encoding so you can sort of have some kind of integrity of the the received data but uh, uh, you're saying that in situation where we we don't need this kind of uh, two aspects that there would be more efficient uh, mm. ways of there, there can certainly be situations where it's simply more efficient yeah okay but uh, what if you, we are not then uh, really bandwidth limited <laughs> we could transmit uh, multiple times should we uh, and then i guess you would use a repetition code in digital communications uh, if you have a message that is analog do you repeat it twice in that case if you yeah it's a good question i mean to start with i think in digital communications you wouldn't use a repetition code right you'd send your message and then you would encode it again using a different channel code which is the same thing as to say just add additional like parity bits and then you send those mm. across and combine the information actually from these well <laughs> extra parity bits for, for analog i mean going back to what i said if you have a single sample that you want to send over a single channel used and just send it your value x <laughs> okay hmm. over the channel so you max you map your x onto uh, onto your amplitude and, and that's it but if you want to add like some sort of error protection through bandwidth expansion so you have a single sample x that you want to send over let's say two channel uses so you have a two-dimensional channel or, or two degrees of freedom then you need a mapping from x to a two-dimensional coordinate and mm. such mappings exist and can be optimized. They typically look like spirals that start in the origin. So then to apply the mapping, what you do is you, you look at the spiral and then you take your, your number x that you want to transmit. And then you travel a distance from the origin along the spiral. And whatever two-dimensional coordinate that you reach will give you the two values that you should send over your two-channel uses or over your two, two degrees of freedom and, and conversely to to like air quotes decode then you should take your received two-dimensional point you should check so which is the closest point on the spiral and then you should measure the distance along the spiral to the origin and that will give you your estimate say x hat right so that's like the the way to perform bandwidth expansion using <laughs> analog modulation one, one can also do compression using similar techniques but hmm. maybe leads too far here so um, yes. so when you're talking here about the degrees of freedom uh, is this like you have extra time compared to the length of the the thing you want to transmit or is it frequency or how does it work here when, when i say degree of freedom i just mean samples right hmm. and samples could be samples in the in the time domain or in the frequency domain i mean quite generally it's like you have some time frequency space that in which some waveform lives right and, and we know the number of samples you need to kind of like approximately describe or, or parameterize this waveform is the b times t the bandwidth multiplied with with with, uh, with its time duration so so when i say dimension or degree of freedom it's the same thing as just, think of it as a sample in some discrete time representation which is typically i mean through the sampling theorem right in in, in, in comms applications yeah and this um sort of uh, discrete time representation is this still useful when we work in Analog, or I thought that was closely related to the digitalization of the, the signals. Yeah, but you can always describe, I mean, a waveform that lives in some certain time frequency space by using samples, or rather, I mean, through an expansion in basis functions, and then much of in, in, in comms, then we like to use the, the, the sync basis, which is the sampling theorem. So, so in principle, certainly, yes, I mean, you can always discretize because of the sampling theorem, more or less. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so the, the sampling theorem is underneath there, and, and the only yeah, difference between... Way, I mean... <laughs> uh, I guess the only difference between analog and digital there is sort of that what are the, the samples that you're getting in analog is sort of given by the original signal, in in uh, the digital is sort of determined by your source and channel coding. 
Yeah, you could think of it that way. You could also think like, I mean, digital modulation is a very advanced form of nonlinear analog modulation, right? Where you have some very complicated nonlinear mapping from your analog numbers to what actually goes out on the channels. <laughs> when mm -hmm. we speak of like, well, a little bit like nonlinear analog, yeah, okay, simple spiral mapping, that's one thing. But at some point, it becomes so complicated that, you know, where, where, where do we draw the line? When does this become like digital or something else, right? Yes. So uh, when people are now starting to talk about analog uh, modulations uh, again, then it often comes together with this concept of over-the-air aggregation, where some kind of analog signals supposed to add up over there. So, so how does that work? Yeah, so this concept of over-the-air aggregation, so the idea here is to have that we have multiple transmitters that could be like sensors in a sensor network or they could be like clients in the machine learning application or something. But anyways, like devices that have data to send and they were interested in the sum of their data. And now let's talk about like to start with at least aggregating a single sample. So then the idea is that they would just transmit using linear analog modulation this sample and the samples would add up in the air or in the ether by virtue of the superposition principle of the wireless multiple access channel. I mean in principle this is like the superposition principle of the wave equation, right? I mean, we have multiple mm. transmitters, multiple sources <laughs> of electromagnetic waves, and whatever we receive here is going to be the superposition. Um, so that's the idea of this uh, over-the-air aggregation, uh, which nat nat naturally, I mean, requires analog modulation so that the signals add up. I mean, we, we need linearity in the modulation because we have linearity in the, in the superposition itself. Yeah, so uh, I, I, as you were saying, there seem to be a number of possible use cases there where you sort of are maybe measuring the same or different things and want to aggregate that. It's a bit like uh, uh, telling people to how many are agreeing upon something and then they raise their hands and then they, you're sending yeah. different signals there. <laughs> uh, so suppose there are like two users that... Uh, that yeah, measure some things, or you will like to add them up, maybe just to get the sum or to get their average, which is just a sum divided by the number of things. Uh, what is required then if these two users should send their signals and make them add up nicely to the sum? Mm. I mean, so, so what's needed here is that now, if we have an aggregator or like a base station or a receiver somewhere, right? So it's an antenna here. And then we have like, let's say, two devices that transmit simultaneously some analog linearly modulated value. Then for, for these two values to add up the way we desire at the receiving antenna, then number one, we need to compensate for the difference in path gains or path losses. Um, so, so these path gains have to be known at the devices and they have to scale the transmitted signal with the like reciprocal path gain um, or, or path loss. Yeah. Do they and, need to know each other's path gains or? Yeah, I mean, in the end, there'll always be, of course, a power constraint, right? And uh, they will have to set the, some coordination is required to set the power so that, I mean, whoever is farthest away should use maximum permissible power and the others will have to scale back in power so some coordination is required in order to set that scaling factor mm. but but that, that's well it's, it's obviously a thing that has to be considered right but i think actually more important consideration is that they also need to rotate the face to huh. compensate for the face rotation incurred by the channel and that entails indeed two things number one is that these devices need channel state information that could be acquired through pilot signaling in, in the various forms. And number two, they have to be face aligned. Just like in distributed MIMO, I mean, if you do joint coherent beamforming, the, the, the panels need to estimate the channels, but they also have to be face aligned, right? I mean, it's like we've got two devices here and or, or you and me transmit to someone and uh, we know that someone, we know how far away it is. Uh, okay, so we can compensate for a propagation delay, but we still need to agree on a time base so that we transmit at, <laughs> so yeah. we agree when is time zero. Uh, so that's also required there. Um, so two things, I mean, general estimates and, and this phase um, alignment or calibration among the devices. 
uh, for this uh, combination to actually add up or for the signals to actually add up constructively at uh, at the aggregator or at the uh, uh, well the receiving antenna Exactly, and, and uh, this is where one needs to sort of to either, as you were saying, uh, when we work in uh, in really the analog time, that it is the the time delays or phase shift that uh, we need to sort of compensate for, and and when people are working with uh, uh, yeah complex baseband models, we need to remember that there is not only an amplitude, there is also a complex phase and the complex numbers that we need to yes. uh, to, to deal with, <laughs> and that makes a great deal of a difference. I mean, you know, yeah. when that's not this phase is there and it's very often the deal breaker in <laughs> uh, making these things work yeah uh, you, you can transmit with the same amplitude one but then one gets plus one and another get minus one and yeah then your you summation by, you know if your phase reference is off by pi then we'll inter will combine destructively rather than constructively right and then the thing won't work so mm. <laughs> it, it is a bit like in in beam forming from well distributed yeah. or MIMO array or distributed arrays where you need to be you need them to be uh, calibrated in, in, in such a way that the, the, the joint coherent beam forming works on, on, on downlink, right? Yeah, so exactly so that but what I was starting to think about that the sort of the, the concept of transmitting with the known face references from multiple places sort of what you use in uh, in beam forming usually but uh, uh, in uh, and yeah we talked about that in previous episodes well, do we create beams or do we create something else but i guess mm. the important thing is that at the desired location the signals are adding up in this constructive manner uh, but, yes. but then i guess in, in normally when we talk about beam form we sort of transmit the same piece of data from multiple antennas and we make sure they add up constructively uh, at the desired point uh, so, so the new thing here is, is that a it can be different data that we're transmitting. Yeah, certainly. I mean, and Dean, that's the whole point, right? I mean, that typically the aggregator or the receiving antenna here wants to learn the sum or, or the average or whatever, but let's say the sum, because uh, sum and average are the same thing more or less, right? So the sum of the, the data samples or values that these two agents are, are sitting on. Um, and I mean, that's all again motivated by applications like where you want to learn, maybe infer the average of something like an average sensor reading or, or number or in, in machine learning applications. Federated learning is one important use case where you have, in principle, I mean, you have like a machine learning model that lives in a cloud somewhere, and then you have clients that cooperate in training this learning model, and each client has its own training data but the clients don't want to share the training data they only want to share like updates to the model so they so the, the cloud or the server broadcasts the model the clients perform some local updates on it and then transmit the gradient update and these gradients updates should just be summed up or added up at, at, at the server and it's exactly this summing up operation that can then be done through over the air aggregation naturally right because then I mean, all that entails is a is an, is an arithmetic. It's a sum over the, <laughs> over the the values per component in the gradient vector or the model parameter vector that that the agents want to convey. So, um, I think that might be one of the more compelling use cases for uh, over the air um, aggregation, indeed, because the sum operation comes naturally in there in in terms of like adding up these gradient updates. Yeah, and I guess there is also things in like the general detection kind of theory that maybe that is also <laughs> partially the same thing here, where you you add up an arithmetic mean of measurements and then you make an hypothesis test to decide is it above or below a threshold, for example. Absolutely, I mean, so these data values that the the devices send could be, I mean, log likelihood ratios, for example, right? And then they probably should be added up at the fusion center to make an optimum decision and so forth. So that's another. Um, maybe actually a simpler example, which is, I mean, just as compelling, I think, or, or rather, I mean, in that case, the question is also, I mean, what are the amounts of data here? Because in, in sensor networks, if these are just the occasional decisions, then the, the dimension of the data is very low, right? And, but in this machine learning application, it's like there could be model parameter vectors that have thousands or, or you know, many thousands of components, and then suddenly, efficient use of radio resources becomes um, 
a bigger deal uh, on, on a different scale. So um, potential benefits done through this sort of analog aggregation technique could be larger. Yes, so we, we, we can clearly find a lot of use cases when we would like to add up different things, uh, like you call the arithmetic mean, for example. Uh, but then there's also the whole world of other kinds of mathematical operations. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is the geometric mean, where you sort of want like to multiply different things together. Can that be done over there as well? Yeah, it can. I mean, there's actually a large class of functions that can be computed through over-the-air aggregation. And the trick is to um, pre-process the data samples through some appropriate non-linear mapping and then transmit, let them aggregate. And the aggregation always happens through addition because this is by virtue of the superposition principle of the wave equation. And then after the superposition has happened, you take the received sample and you apply an other, like air quotes, inverse <laughs> nonlinear mapping, right? So, for example, if you if you want to compute the product of the the data values rather than the sum, then what you should do is to take each value, and the, the clients first takes the log, the logarithm of the value, and then transmits the logarithms, and then the logarithms add up, and the, and, and and the um, receiver takes this logarithms that added up and computes the exponential. And then we know that the exponential of log of a plus log of b is equal to a times b, right? So um, product is easy. And, and many other functions can also be like computed. The class of functions that can be computed this way is called nomographic, nomographic functions. And this is like a field in mathematics that study properties of such functions and so forth. But maybe the, the, the sum and the product are the most obvious like um, examples that uh, yeah and, and I guess eventually if you have something that is very uh, non-linear from the beginning where you need to apply this kind of like exponential functions and stuff, uh, mm. or logarithms I guess you, dynamic range could be one oh yeah issue it'll certainly be an issue sensitivity to noise I mean you know yeah. it's a <laughs> Um, it's absolutely um, there's a host of non-trivial questions associated with the use of, of such mappings and, and aggregation this way so uh, let's try to make this mapping now to, to analog modulation so, so normally when I think about analog modulation like I'm listening to radio in the car then you just take your audio signal and you put it out there uh, and transmit it directly. Uh, here, if I understand it correctly, it's, it's still like you are deciding on your own uh, like pulse function, like it could be a sync or something else. And then uh, on top of that one, you multiply the exact measurement number, which is an analog number. So, so, so mm. that is how you, you generate this. Sort. Yeah, when we say linear analog modulation, I mean, there's always a waveform underneath, of course, but we think of it like some take some predefined waveform and this multiply its amplitude and rotate its phase, right? Which in the complex baseband formalism is just multiplication with with a complex scalar and then you, you send whatever the result <laughs> uh, over your channel. Mm. So... Uh, when analyzing this, do you need to go back and uh, start in analog time, or can you use these complex baseband models? That no, you, you can work in the com with a complex baseband uh, model. I mean, of course, that entails some assumptions on, for example, that there is no dispersion, but it can be done. I mean, you can always eliminate dispersion by applying an FFT and a cyclic prefix, which is effectively OFDM modulation. And, and uh, I mean, so um, in principle, the short answer is yes, you can think of this like sample by sample complex baseband. Hmm. Yeah, that's that, that's great. <laughs> because we, we are so much more used to, to working with the, the complex uh, space. I mean, to some extent, a lot of the textbooks are about we start in analog, then we rewrite everything yeah. until we arrive <laughs> at the digital cases, and uh, then we stick there. But then every time we, we change something fundamentally, we sort of need to start over. But yeah. It's good that we can work in the digital again. <laughs> so it seems like one of the really important thing here is that we can phase shift things correctly so that they are aggregating coherently. So what if we don't have channel state information at the transmitters? Or yeah, so that's a challenge indeed. If you don't have channel state information at the transmitters or they aren't phase aligned, so you can't rotate the phase to make you know your data points or samples add up 
constructively then we have a bit of a problem <laughs> because that's the whole point of this over-the-air aggregation mm-hmm. and you know in the literature you'll find some papers they claim to do non-coherent over-the-air aggregation and so forth um, well to some extent this can be done but it doesn't seem to be very competitive and the fundamental problem here is actually rather easy to understand I think so you know if you have if you just have a single channel use available and you're going to send like two values that are to add up right uh, constructively then if you aren't face aligned or you don't have transmitted channel state information then you might have bad luck so that you're you're off in phase and the values don't add up but rather they add up with a minus sign or something so rather than computing x plus y I compute x minus y which is obviously not what I wanted right and kind of the only way of solving that is to use multiple degrees of freedom so now suppose that we had now instead two channel uses two degrees of freedom then well we could take each client here could take his, his data point like x and, and, and y right for the two clients and multiply it with any favorite orthogonal sequence of choice i mean it could be fsk could be hadamard sequence could be anything and then transmit it and then we're good then we can at the receiver just invert i mean project onto these orthogonal waveforms and recover <laughs> x and y but that that effectively is equivalent to just taking turns and using the channel so okay we got two channel uses you send x and i'm silent and then you send y and you're silent and so forth so in a way it's like non-coherent over the air aggregation requires um, the expense of additional degrees of freedom which could be like that we use more time symbol or samples more samples in the frequency domain or both or more spatial. I mean, you could receive your signal with more antennas and hope that, well, at least at some of the antennas, the phases don't add up. <laughs> I mean, at least at some of the antenna or antennas, the 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 phases add up like reasonably well and so forth. But I mean, over the air, non-coherent over the air requires the expense of additional degrees of freedom or essentially repetition in, in some form. Um, and, and that's an important thing, I believe, to convey. Actually, that um, again, I mean, you can find paper, you can find claims <laughs> that have been made that over-the-air works with non-coherent and so forth. Be very careful. I mean, you know, always trace this back to the foundations and com theory and look at what is the actual dimension of the signal space and so forth and what's going on here. I think the one exception might be in applications where there is an abundance of degrees of freedom like for example with visible light we anyway mm. communicate non-coherently right i mean so i mean in, in the sense that i have a photo sensor here and i got two lamps and i turn one of them on i turn the other on and i turn both of them on it's just like well the intensities are going to add up and that's because this, the signals add up non-coherently it's just because we have the, such abundant bandwidth, everything is non-coherent anyway. And I mean, in such a setting, it it, it could actually <laughs> like work. But um, fundamentally, um, circumventing or or not having this ability to face rotate properly at the transmitters would require some form of repetition, which in a way just takes out all the benefit from the start right because the whole point of this over the air aggregation is that let's say we have k devices then we have to aggregate the data simultaneously from then ideally we would like save a factor of k degrees of freedom or radio resources right but now if we had to repeat the thing k times there is <laughs> the gain is gone so mm. um, it's just a horribly important thing to be able to to um, re-rotate the face at the transmitter yeah. So, uh, as you were saying, one of the the possible benefits here is then that yeah, if you have K users that should send their their data, uh, and you want the only thing you're going to use data for is to aggregate them, then instead of encoding them separately and transmit them over there, decode them and then add them up at the receiver, we we could let them then add up over the air. Uh, so that was sort of, in a way, reduce the the things by 
by uh, yeah the, the data use or the the utilization of the channel by factory k then then i started to think about it isn't this also going back to sort of uh multiple access channels where k users could potentially transmit the same time you can get the multiplexing gain uh, and decode the, the user data in that yeah. particular ways in a way, I mean, we of course have a multiple access channel, right? The unique aspect here is that we are interested only in the arithmetic sum of the values. And, um, but certainly, again, I mean, to reiterate the point, I mean, or the whole selling argument for over the air aggregation is that we save on radio resources because K devices can send their data samples simultaneously and as yeah. opposed to like requiring k different radio resources which could be time or frequency or space or something else then they just send simultaneously and so we would save like k times ideally yeah exactly and uh, i mean the weak spot in my example was that you would need to have k receive antennas in order for it to to work out to decode them at the same time so that then you need this k times yeah and then uh, we're in the mimo game which is exactly. <laughs> a story in itself so yes yeah uh, and, and talking about mime now i'm also thinking out loud so if you if you have multiple antennas uh, if you don't know the faces at the transmitter side and you have multiple receive antennas, you will sort of get different linear combinations of them with these unknown faces. And I guess by solving a linear system of equation, you can sort of uh, decouple the transmitter signal from the users, but you will still have an unknown face, I guess. So, mm. so you yes. cannot get everything out of it. And that's the difficulty to make this work really well for MIMO because if you think of it, if you have an array of receiving antennas, then, well, for each one of the devices, there is not going to be a single phase rotation, which is optimal, let alone good for all of the antennas, right? With some luck, there might be a phase rotation that's good for like, but, but there's not going to be a phase rotation that's good for all the antennas. So, um, MIMO isn't, uh, or put it this way, I mean, over-the-air aggregation becomes less and less useful when you have MIMO mm. um, for, for that reason. And uh, yes, um, yeah. So, so this whole thing reminds me a little bit about what we talked about uh, with context-aware communications in episode 29, uh, where you sort of you design your physical layer to for the context, which in this case is to sort of add up uh, data. So, uh, yeah, as you were saying, the, one of the key benefits will then be that if you're going to add up k different signals, then uh, you just do it in one shot directly. So that's sort of a much more efficient. Then if you look at what are the the, the challenges or weak spots, uh, I guess that the first thing, which is the traditional thing with uh, uh, analog communications is sort of noise that you, uh, it just you get some kind of soft degradation of your signals by just adding noise and you can't get rid of it. Mm. What are the other potential drawbacks with this? Yeah, so I think one drawback we already touched upon and that was the need to have accurate or, or at least good enough transmitter channel state information and phase alignment, right, to make the, the, the signals actually add up constructively, which is a, well, non-trivial technical engineering challenge indeed. I mean, it's something that's considered non-trivial for distributed MIMO, for example, to make the panels operate phase coherently, right? And now we're going to have like hundreds or even thousands of small wireless devices out on the field that's going to do all this <laughs> in real time. So that's one thing that needs to be, uh, well, that has to be in place. Another thing is that in maybe, in my view, the most perhaps compelling application, namely training a machine learning models, then what the devices actually send are updates to grade or gradient update vectors, right? And typically these gradient update vectors, they are compressed in some way. I mean the standard or one of the standard methods for compressing them is to sparsify it, to take a vector that's maybe ten thousand components long and look at like which are the one hundred largest components and set all the others to zero. And then you end up with a sparse vector and that's then compressed in using some technique. Could be using digital techniques, could be 
compressed by applying random projections and then L1 norm or lasso type of uh, reconstruction and so forth. And now for over the air aggregation to work here, then this <laughs> the sparsity patterns have to be the same at all the agents. Otherwise, <laughs> this won't work. I mean, and, and, and this compression, I mean, say for example, we, we, we compress by sparsifying and then applying random linear projections, then, well, the sparsity patterns have to, to, to overlap. Otherwise, we'll have to use the, the same um, random projection compre- comp- compression at each one of the agents. And uh, I mean, and, uh, very often the sparsity patterns don't, <laughs> aren't the same. And, 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 and then the, the gains quickly evaporate here. So I think that's like one major drawback that, I mean, it, it, it all at the surface looks competitive when you think of like oh i got these vectors of dimension like with 10,000 components and we can send them simultaneously they all add, add up in the air but in reality it isn't like that it's more like well i have this vector of a 10,000 components and i have a small subset of the, the the components that are actually non-zero you have a vector of the same dimension but you have a different subset of components that are actually non-zero and then you know, well, it's not enough to just transmit the, the non-zero components, right? We have to transmit the, like the whole vector because the sparsity patterns don't overlap, and then the gains are are, are mostly gone. So uh, that's a challenge. And but, but I guess uh, the 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 counter of that challenge might be that uh, one of the things that people learn in, in machine learning when you do updates is that it can be better to do many rough updates than a few really detailed ones. So if this allows us to sort of do more quick rough updates certainly true but still I mean you know in scenarios with heterogeneous data and so forth among these devices then the sparsity patterns might not overlap at all and then it's like you you, you, <laughs> you, 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 you lose what you had gained um, other um, challenges I think one is that I mean because the data are transmitted unprotected over the air interface then it'll be like easier to eavesdrop uh, which could entail leakage of information about about your training data they don't want to reveal for example and it's potentially easier to spoof the uh, links um, since there's no like I mean in digital communications usually we always have like an error correcting or uh, well, error detection code to, that verifies the integrity of the data, right? Like a CRC check, and now we just send over analog. There is no such a thing naturally. So um, there are certainly a number of like drawbacks and, and challenges here. Some obvious, some maybe less obvious, and some more application dependent. I think the ones with uh, the sparsity patterns and all that is quite application dependent to to machine learning. But uh, of course, this also means there are many like interesting research challenges, right, to undertake. So, <laughs> in the end, I mean, it's it's a fascinating, I think, um, let's say, um, technology and a fascinating prospect to save k times the radio resources. Yeah, it really is a fascinating thing there, and I understand that people are like to analyze this as well because it's sort of uh, on the edge. It might. Uh, or at the surface, I mean, it might look a bit like, oh, this is similar to sort of a situation with no channel state information you transmit, uh, use spl- space-time codes. But then if you use space-time code, then all the transmitters need to know all the data so they can shuffle them around in a, a predefined way. And here, the whole point is that every user has their own data. So it sort of becomes problems that resembles what people analyzed in the past that with new twists that make them fundamentally different so uh, yeah it's really excite researchers um, so we touched upon MIMO what would happen if you have multiple antennas mainly from the perspective whether that could solve the the lack of channel state information transmitted but what if we have multiple antennas or multiple antennas to receive a side for example and you have these multiple users they should phase shift things then if you phase shift the signals so they add up constructively on antenna one, will they add up on antenna two as well? No, not necessarily. I mean, uh-huh. again, this is the point I think we, we did touch upon earlier. I mean, but the, the short answer here is that we MIMO 
many of the gains of over-the-air transmission seem to, to or aggregation seem to, to evaporate indeed. But this is precisely the point, right? That there's no phase shift that's good for all the receiving antennas. So if you adjust, if the devices adjust their um, or, or like invert the channel phase rotation for receiving antenna number one, then well, the receiving antenna number one is going to certainly receive the, the, the desired linear combination or some of the data points and so forth. But at the second receiving antenna, I mean, the, the channel phases are all different, right? And it'll receive more or less like a random <laughs> linear combination of the data points, which is typically less useful. So I think to properly, um, let's say, um, discuss over the air aggregation with MIMO, then we need to clarify very clearly here the fact that there are two kinds of channel state information that we might or might not have, right? I mean, one is channel state information at the devices, which includes also the ability to face align and so forth. That's the first. And, and the second is channel state information at the actual um, receiving array, which is typically easier, but anyway, I mean, it has to be there in order to do like meaningful, coherent processing. And um, if the devices have channel state information, certainly, I mean, you can like optimize phase rotations per device, which are in some kind of average or overall sense good. That certainly can be done, and then you can apply appropriate receiving, combining, and so forth at the array. And if the devices have multiple antennas, you can do more clever things. Obviously, that requires like more <laughs> channel state information uh, in a way because you'd have it for every combination of transmit, receive antenna, and so forth. Uh, without um, channel state information at the devices then, well, one can still just have them transmit and uh, decode uh, in a way like air quotes blindly. And uh, that isn't in the end. I mean, it, that's all that's also workable. So, um, but there can be case, some ambiguity left there. Yeah, I mean, so if you just think of it, if, if you just have like an antenna array, and then you have devices out there just transmitting blindly. Well, you need some form of receiver channel state information to process the data, right? And then you could opt for either having the devices send a common pilot so that you effectively estimate the sum of the channel responses to these devices, or you could have them send orthogonal pilots so that you estimate individual channel responses and so forth. So there's like a wealth of... Uh, the design space is quite large. I think that's uh, one thing here, yeah. So if we take a brief look at sort of cutting-edge research, perhaps. Uh, so you have uh, written a paper that you will present at the conference called Spork 2022, uh, uh, I guess it's in July, it's called Optimal MIMO Combining for Blind Federated Edge Learning with Gradient Sparsification. I guess the, the name of it is actually a nice abstract of what you're, you're considering. But uh, yeah, if you should uh, motivate someone to take a closer look at this paper, what is it that you, you, you are looking into here? Yeah, so um, I mean, the paper deals exactly with this issue that I just mentioned, right? Uh, how to most effectively use a MIMO array receiver when we have devices that send data through over-the-air aggregation and uh, the like driving question that motivated the paper is to look at whether over the the concept of over-the-air aggregation as original envisioned is actually a, a technically sound way to, to to go or whether it is better to just apply more like conventional style spatial multiplexing techniques to, to uh, separate the streams from these devices and uh, the uh, more, more specifically, we looked at the case where sort of devices don't have channel state information, so we have to rely on some sort of blind transmission. And then we, we compared um, a scheme that's been suggested in, in previous literature where devices or the agents used a shared pilot and the array just estimated then like the sum of the channel responses. We contrasted that with the case that the agents rather have each has a unique orthogonal pilot so that we can estimate the channel responses individually. And then, of course, we can apply like zero forcing combining, right? Or, or any like linear estimate that we want 
of each signal independently. And maybe no big surprise, I mean, the, the spatial multiplexing technique with orthogonal pilots turned out to be a lot better. And one of the main reasons for that is that it also allows the devices to use individually designed sparsification and compression schemes. So we don't suffer from this issue of requiring a common sparsity pattern that we talked briefly earlier about, right? But that the standard over the air aggregation actually uh, demands. So um, the, the, the short story is that, well, if you've got a MIMO array, um, then it's typically better to just have the devices, well, pick an orthogonal pilot and transmit their data and then use special like MIMO processing techniques to separate the streams. And, you know, that also allows you to use any sparsification and gradient compression scheme that, that, that you like. Um, the exception, I think, and which is important to point out, though, is if you have more devices than you have antennas, then this is not going to work. <laughs> so you can't do like, I mean, the zero force of combining, for, for example, is undefined, right? Uh, or if you have more devices than you have samples in your coherence block, so that you can't afford to give orthogonal pilots to everyone. But most probably, I mean, in the use cases that I could see, at least it's like, well, we're probably going to have a lot of antennas. I mean, 5G, not to talk about 6G, <laughs> we'll use massive MIMO, right, in, in, in various forms. So we have all these degrees of freedom. And unless you're at very high carrier frequencies and very high mobility, then you'll have you'll have enough samples so that you can afford orthogonal pilots to those that you want to transmit simultaneously. And then, of course, in a way that could be like, maybe argued to be resource inefficient. I mean, if you spend, you know, half of your samples on, on pilot signaling, but in the end, that might not be a such a big deal if you anyway can multiplex, you know, hundreds of devices at the same time, right? I mean, we're back at like the arguments the way I think we've been making many times about massive MIMO um, for multiplexing and so forth. So um, in a way, one could say that I mean, is this over-the-air aggregation or not? Well, that's, that's debatable maybe, right? I mean, and if, then the conclusion is really that the way to go maybe is not over-the-air aggregation in this case. It's actually more conventional spatial multiplexing using massive MIMO style of transmission. So, Yes, and it re reminds me of some things that we worked on in the past that has to do with multicasting, where which is sort of like you, you're going to broadcast the same signal, but not totally blindly, but you know that here is the location of users to consider. And, and then we have the choice between actually encoding the data separately, perhaps for the users, and just send different beams to them, or we could uh, sort of transmit just once in a way that is a little bit towards both of them and, and there you can use over there computations of the channel estimates by letting the user sort of transmit uh, the same pilot sequence at the same time estimate the sum of their channel and then if you do beamform you automatically forms a beam pattern that is sort of a little bit good for everyone and I suppose you are using sort of the similar kind of approach in in yeah, your paper I mean, here in a, in some in of the a way it's like if you have a shared pilot which is what i mean our conclusion was that no don't use a shared pilot give everyone orthogonal pilots right but yeah but it, it, there is the alternative in terms of channel estimation yeah certainly i mean in the literature others have considered like the possibility of using a shared pilot and in a way it's like the dual <laughs> kind of setup of multicasting with a shared pilot right um, so it's, it's, a, it's a nice point indeed. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess then we, we sort of, <laughs> if we try to wrap up, what are then the, the some of the use cases for uh, over there aggregation? Well, one is of course uh, the, the whole thing with the uh, distributed um, yeah updates of machine learning algorithms where you want to aggregate things. Then we were just mentioning aggregation when in channel estimation where you anyway want to estimate the sum of some people's communication channels. I mean, that's a form of over the air, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so uh, are there some other good use cases that comes to your mind? Yeah, I mean, anytime they were interested in, or, um, I, or rather this way, I think we've got to separate here 
on one hand the use of analog or even linear analog modulation techniques and, and, and on the other hand over the air aggregation techniques where we are interested in, in, in this arithmetic sum specifically right and I think for analog in general there are certainly like other applications one that's quite interesting I think is distributed principal component analysis for example where essentially I mean agents are sitting on data and they run like a local little PCA which gives them a unitary matrix and then rather than sending that through digital modulation it could be sent flat out over the channel using analog and if you send over a MIMO channel you get something like H times U and then you can do all sort of fancy like MIMO techniques to recover the subspace and combine the subspaces and so forth <laughs> and, mm. uh, so, so certainly for analog for over the air aggregation I think we mostly covered I mean to me it seems that the most compelling use case would be for this federated or distributed learning sort of applications but then we have to be aware of the drawbacks right which to reiterate are that number one with MIMO processing somebody gains this vanish and we have this requirement on like common sparsity or compression and so forth which can actually be quite limiting and and uh, we have the sheer fact that if things happen over analog I mean then uh, <laughs> Uh, eavesdropping becomes easier and so forth so hmm. um, but it's certainly I th- you know an, an exciting I think it's a very nice <laughs> topic for research and, and, and development certainly and um, in a way it's like I mean yeah and even if you have access to the most uh, sort of advanced MIMO arrays and f- things like that in, in some cases in the future, there will always be situation where you, you might want to, to save on hardware costs by, by having a, uh, a simple receiver that can and then aggregate. And, you things. know, don't get me wrong with the MIMO, right? I mean, we, we talked at some length about MIMO when you don't have <laughs> transmit channel state information at the devices. But if you do, that's a different game. And then I, I think the science isn't entirely settled there, right? how large are the gains and when are there gains I mean one thing is that the design space is quite large right I mean we have to play with channel state information how accurate is it at the devices how long is the channel coherence how many antennas do we have Uh, how many devices do we have what does the propagation look like by all means and so forth also right but um, so um absolutely yeah so to, to wrap up then uh, it seems like it's fair to say that there are some specific situation where uh, yeah analog modulation and over the air aggregation will actually be particularly useful and uh, that there is worth uh, to spend time analyzing this further in the future is that the correct certainly, assessment yeah <laughs> certainly yes Great. So thank you very much for for sharing your insights and views on this topic. And uh, yeah, we meet again in the next episode. Thank you, Emil. It's fun as always. Thank you. Bye bye. (laughs) 